This is John Halsman, and welcome to this special Around the World in 20 Minutes, where we try to make sense of the beguiling new planet that we find ourselves on. And greetings, everybody. I am back at my desk from a wonderful week in Barcelona for the Risk Minds Conference, where I did triple duty, which was a lot even for us with my chief of staff and good friend, John Goodnight. And I gave the keynote about the state of the world that we live in. I probably will do a version of that for Around the World soon. I played our great war game on what does a post-Ukraine world look like in terms of the great powers so that businesses know how to invest. You've got to know the big pieces on the chessboard, and they have changed and have moved as a result of the war and have moved as a result of some rising and some falling. And the game, I frankly, I've played probably 100 games in my career, and it was probably the best one I ever played. So many old pros were back. It was great fun and uh, really, really interesting. And then John and I gave a joint speech on what the midterms meant, and I thought I would start at the end with that speech. But again, shout out to Risk Minds. It was great to see so many of you at this flagship event of this great organizer of conferences, one of our absolute favorite groups to work with. And it was so great to catch up with so many of you and to get the band back together. So uh, thank you so much. But back at my desk, before we're off next week to Lake Como to play another Great Power War game, that's a home match for me just down the road from Milan with the Butterfield Group. I look forward to that. But before then, I wanted to get this out there. And let's start with our predictions and look at things. Well, there are a number of headlines here, and I want to focus in the end on the one that really matters, which is the Republicans beginning to solve their succession crisis for 2024 and the Democrats not solving their succession crisis. But the reason for this is because the results were surprising. The Democrats had really the fourth best midterm in the past century, uh, although they certainly are going to lose the House. It'll be by a much narrower margin. Our prediction was 20 to 30 seats. It will be less than that. It'll be somewhere between 10 to 15. I would still give us the win on this one because we're only about five seats out, and we call the ultimate shift in power from the Democrats to the Republicans. So I think within five, given they're over 400, getting it within five is a win. And we've got to give ourselves credit for getting this right from way out. So we're delighted with that. The Senate, it looks like we're only going to be off one, but paradoxically, I would give us a loss, a miss for this one. Because although we called it 50-50, and it's going to be 51-49, and I think Warnock will beat Herschel Walker in the Georgia runoff, getting it off one makes all the difference. Because instead of it being 51-49 for the Republicans, or 50-50, a tie as before, now it's 51-49 for the Democrats, and they actually picked up a seat despite Joe Biden's approval rating being in Charles Manson, Ted Bundy territory, inflation being the worst in 40 years, most Americans hating the woke agenda. Despite all that, the Democrats managed to gain a seat in the Senate um, and to keep the losses in the House down to quite manageable numbers, say 10 to 15 rather than 20. So although we only missed the Senate by one out of 100, which sounds fantastic, we missed who would run the place. So I have to give this a miss from us. Now we can argue it, and my competitors would argue that it's a success, but I can't because I try to be honest with you. It's a close failure, but it's a failure nonetheless. As my grandmother would say, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Uh, and so we miss this. Why? Why, as you know, is the only question that mattered. Why did we get things right before, and why did we miss this one? Why did we get the House narrowly right, and why did we get the Senate narrowly wrong? And more importantly, 
Why did they do so well despite these horrible odds against them? Why did the Democrats manage to do so well despite these terrible odds that were entirely against them? Well, the simple answer to this is Donald Trump. In two words, it's Donald Trump. For a long time, the establishment of the party and people like me, sickened by January the 6th, convinced that Donald Trump indeed lost the election to Biden in 2020 fair and square. For a long time, we were waiting for this to happen because most people in the Republican Party, as is true of most parties in the world, want to win. There are ideological people in all parties and they're an important part of the party, but most people want to win. And the problem with Trumpism isn't Trumpism, it's Trump. And what most of us want in the establishment is to keep Trumpism, to keep the iconoclasm, to keep this new fusion of working class values that really does change the Republican Party, and I think for the better. Suddenly it's a party of deregulation, it's a party of not fighting stupid wars, it's a party of smaller government, it's a party of patriotism, it's a party of American interests, of looking out for working class values, of only signing free trade pacts when they suit the workers and businesses of the United States, and not as a religion, either good or bad. Well, this is a party that most of the, and, and is anti-woke. This is a party which sees that as authoritarian and getting in the way of American liberty, American communities, and American values. And this is a party that most Republicans can get behind. And Donald Trump deserves mighty credit for his changing the nature of the party from the country club Republicanism of the Bushes and Mitt Romney to this more viable working class party that is against stupid wars, against over, overt regulation, is for tax cuts, is for individual liberty, is anti-woke, is against fighting for other people's interests, but only for America's. This is a Republican Party that most of us can get behind. So Trumpism isn't the problem. And in fact, you saw people all over the place, particularly governors, Greg Abbott of Texas, um, Governor Kemp of Georgia, and mostly Ron DeSantis of Florida, all espouse Trumpism and do very well. You saw J.D. Vance win the Senate with a Trumpist line in the state of Ohio. And so Trumpism is alive and well. That isn't the problem. The problem is Trump. The problem is the vehicle it com comes in. Too many white suburban moms who are swing voters who s voted for Biden overwhelmingly in 2020 are sick of the narcissism, are sick of the crudeness, are sick of the psychodrama, are sick of the horrible staffing, are sick of the self-reference and a narcissism that overwhelms love of country. Too many people think he's in it only for himself. He's constantly skirting near the edge of criminality, even if he doesn't fall over the line. For instance, in January 6th, I think we can all agree that whether Trump broke the law or not, he winked at the rioters because he thought doing so would suit his interests. I think every sane person can say that. And if you say that, this guy isn't fit to run, to run a lemonade stand because you've got to care more about the country than you do about yourself. Nobody thinks that Richard Nixon or Al Gore didn't have giant problems, but they also both had a case to argue as to what was going wrong in the 1960 election and what also went wrong in 2000 in terms of the election. Both of them could argue that. And yet in both cases, they, went, they moved aside for the greater good of the country. Well, I was clear in November of 2020, Donald Trump wasn't going to do that for the simple reason that he cares more about himself than the country, that he winked at these rioters 
that he's crude, that he sails near the wind, that he cares only about himself, that he's a serial fabricator, and all of this should disqualify him. And even if it doesn't with Trumpists at the base of the party, it certainly will with independent voters, meaning he will lose practically over and over again. And that's what the record shows. In 2018, Trump lost the midterms handily, which is historically normal. In 2020, he narrowly but cleanly lost to Biden, 52 to 48. And now in 2022, he's cost the Republicans what is an incredible chance. There was an open goal and we missed the shot. And we missed it because too many people cared about Donald Trump looming over this. It wasn't what a midterm election usually is, which is a referendum on the sitting president. Rather, it was a choice between Biden and Trump. And it narrowly worked so that one House voted in favor of Trump holding their noses and another voted in favor of Biden holding their noses. And let's remember, these are the two least popular mainstream presidential candidates since Gallup polling began in the 1920s. I can't repeat this enough. They are both in need of each other because they can only beat each other. They are the two least popular presidential candidates since Gallup polling began in the 1920s. And in fact, 75% of voters in Gallup have said they want other choices besides Donald Trump and Joe Biden moving ahead. And yet, as up until now, there have been no other choices. The only choices are these two tired, clapped out men well past their sell-by date in both cases. Three quarters of the country don't want them, and yet that seems to be where we're going. So one way to look at 2024 moving ahead is that whichever party can solve its succession crisis best will win in 2024. Whoever can get rid of their liability cleanest, most elegantly, quickest, and put forward a moderately attractive alternative is likely to beat the other party. And that's where we are. Well, why am I pinning this on Trump? Well, there are a couple of reasons. As ever with Trump, the staffing is disastrous just disastrously awful. Just as he couldn't staff a White House with people who were actually committed to his cause, Fiona Hill, a friend of mine who worked for Donald Trump in the NSC, anyone who's ever talked to Fiona for five minutes knows that she's not a Trumpite Republican, to put it mildly, and yet nobody seems to have thought to ask her what her politics were before they put her into the NSC. I don't blame Fiona. I blame the Trump people for not working this out. There was staffing problem after staffing problem after staffing problem, and this has continued in his very odd choice of oddballs and celebrities to run for the Senate. Dr. Oz, an Oprah-made snake oil salesman in Pennsylvania, actually lives in New Jersey. Well, that's not a very good start. Making fun of John Fetterman after his stroke, saying he never ate a vegetable, also doesn't exactly show the kind of compassion I'm looking for in a doctor, let alone a Senate candidate. And him talking about there were no crudite at one of the rallies in central Pennsylvania shows no knowledge of the state he wishes to represent. This goes on and on, and you can find example after example. Herschel Walker, maybe the worst candidate in several cycles now, a man against abortion in every single instance except when it comes to his girlfriends. This isn't going to work very well, and it's not what he did. It's the hypocrisy. It's that I'm above the rules. Trump picked him because he used to work for him when he was a football player. That's not a good recommendation. The country needs more seriousness than that. So these are two of many, many examples of Trump really getting in the way. The other thing that happened is that Trump candidates that he personally picked tended to have to bend their knee and say they didn't think anything went wrong on January 6th, and they denied the outcome of the election. 
Election deniers were defeated across the board time after time after time because the American people know full well that whatever happened on January 6th, whether it was merely a riot get out of control or a mini insurrection was a slap in the face of American democracy and Donald Trump, whether he broke the law or merely immorally winked at the mob, did something that presidents ought not to do. And so the people who denied this ever happened, uh, much as if you said you saw the Loch Ness Monster and he wasn't there, they were punished sensibly by the, by the American people who are far more moderate than they're given credit for at conferences abroad. And John and I can attest to that. So Trump's picking of candidates cost the party dearly. His obsession with relitigating the 2020 election rather than talking about Biden's record cost the party dearly. And the outcome from all this was defeat because the country doesn't care about Donald Trump's obsessions. It cares about its own, as it should, and its obsessions revolve around things like inflation, the cost of living crisis, the fact that the Crimean War goes on, the, the Russian war in Ukraine goes on, that China is actually threatening Taiwan in a much more meaningful way, and that the United States is now entering a world of great power competition where it wants to defend its interests, but think carefully about avoiding catastrophic wars. This is what's preoccupying the American people, not Donald Trump's vanity. And people voted against this in number despite inflation, despite the woke nonsense out there that people hate in poll after poll after poll, quite rightly. Authoritarian socialism by the back door, racialism, racism by the front door just doesn't work for a majority of the country who, again, are more reasonable than people are given credit for. And so this was a self-inflicted wound, and it reconfirmed that the Republican Party wants Trumpism, but without Trump. There's that. And the second piece is, like any party, it wants to win. And having squandered an absolutely golden opportunity to win, we should have gotten the Senate right. With any moderately competent party, we would have, but we didn't because it's a state of being problem. The party wasn't moderately competent. And as a result, it became not a referendum on Joe Biden, but a choice between Biden and Trump. And this led to another split decision. Moving ahead, why Governor DeSantis is in such a wonderful position is that he is embodies Trumpism without Trump. None of the baggage and all of the policies. He's been a remarkably successful governor of Florida where he won last time by only 0.5 of a percent, and this time by 19.5%. It isn't just that Florida has demographically gone red, which it has, becoming more Republican. It's that he's actually governed successfully. He's taken on woke nonsense. He's taken on hysteria about COVID and kept Florida open to the benefit of its economy. He said that this is a free state. He's talked about individual liberty and acted on it over and over again. He's gotten rid of Soros-funded prosecutors. He's gone after the social issues while doubling down on the economic issues. So he's been remarkably successful at actually governing in a Trumpist way, far more than Trump ever did in his first term. Then you add in that he actually seems to have a normal relationship with his family love his wife, and not be utterly obsessed with himself and actually talks about Floridians. This is a breath of fresh air. And then you look at the boxes he ticks. He went to Yale, so he's a serious intellectual guy. He served in the military, unlike Trump, who had bone spurs to get out of Vietnam. He served in the military, honored his commitment. When his wife fell ill, he honored his, his commitment to her. This is an altogether very attractive candidate who espouses Trumpism without being Trump.
So if the Republicans and DeSantis is the one guy above single digits that Trump can't scare out of the primaries by announcing a run, which he'll do next week. All the rest of them are dependent on Trump staying out. They'll be in single digits. They'll be nowhere. DeSantis is somewhere before the midterms in the mid-20s. He's probably higher than that now because of his overwhelming 19.5-point win and because Trump is rightly being blamed for screwing up the midterms for the Republicans. So make that 25% more in the neighborhood of, say, 35%. And he's critically moved $100 million from his gubernatorial campaign over to a presidential campaign, look for him to announce in late May or June of 2023. He's got plenty of time, plenty of money, plenty of recognition moving forward as being the Trumpist candidate who isn't Trump. And he ought to just get on. If I were advising him, I'd say get on with the business of continuing to govern well. Let Trump continue to scream and shout that nothing's his fault and look like a 12-year-old with control issues, and you're going to do just fine. He's at 30 35 percent. Trump's somewhere over 50, 50, 51 percent. So DeSantis is already in shouting distance of Trump before this even begins. Now, Biden, perpetually wrong about everything, says, isn't this a great result? I'm vindicated, as though his policies haven't been a disaster, as though the country isn't blaming him for inflation when by every poll they are by between 65 and 70 percent blaming him for inflation moving ahead, as though this is vindication of pouring gasoline on a raging fire of too much spending, trillions and trillions of dollars of new spending, even as the economy very quickly bounced back from COVID, leads to too much money, chasing too few goods, as Larry Summers has said, and this leads to inflation. Yes, Putin matters at the edges. Yes, supply chains matter at the edges. But this is a man-made problem. That and the Fed took their eyes off the ball, people that Biden nominated. So he owns inflation, which is the number one problem facing the country. But he's read exactly the wrong outcome. The country loves me, or at least loves me enough to give me this great, or at least not terrible, midterm result, which makes it more likely that Joe Biden will run for president again meaning the Democrats have not solved their succession problem. The plan going in was simple. Biden would beat Trump in 2020, bring moderate Democrats along. Jim Clyburn, the potentate of South Carolina, was right after Biden's horrible showing in Iowa and New Hampshire to say, Bernie Sanders can't beat Donald Trump and we can't have Donald Trump be president again, so we've got to throw our weight behind Joe Biden, which he did in South Carolina, where Joe Biden won the victory that turned his campaign around with Clyburn's great help. And so Biden went forward and beat Trump. But they had a woman of color, Kamala Harris, as VP, which kept the progressives happy. And so Biden would serve one term and then be 100 years old, or in this case, 80, cognitively obviously in decline. When I watch him speak, I'm willing him to get through the sentences, willing him to get through the sentences. He's lost well more than a step now since I knew him about 10 years ago when he used to come to Aspen events in Italy, uh, well more than a step. He's in no kind of shape to run the country, and yet there's no one to take his place. Harris is in the Ted Bundy, Charles Manson category. If Biden is at 42 percent, she's at somewhere around 29 to 31 percent support, which is not going to replace Biden. Why would you get rid of a 42 for a dead certain law? She's been a catastrophic vice president. From not securing the southern border to cackling to making things up about NASA to having her, all, her staff leave because she can't manage a lemonade stand. All these things mean that she has not performed up to the level that people had hoped for. 
And so there is no obvious successor to Biden, even though he's only at 42 percent. And the basic rule of thumb is if a presidential candidate is at 60 percent or you're president and you're at 60, you can tell the Congress what to do. Your FDR and the New Deal, period. Your LBJ after the Kennedy assassination. Your Richard Nixon at various points of his success after China. Your Reagan after 1984. You, the wind is in your sails and you're in charge at 60 percent. If you're at less than 40 percent, you're trying to squelch rumors that you're dead, that you're dead. And Biden is just above the coma number at 42%. But now that he's been given this victory in quotes, already there was no one to replace him that was obvious. And now it's more and more likely that with Trump announcing his run next week, that Biden will choose to run again. The difference, critically, is in DeSantis, the Republicans have a chance to begin to solve their succession crisis to get this millstone off their neck of Trump while keeping Trumpism, but Biden staying on, DeSantis would run rings around him. And every operative I talk to in Washington, and as you know, I'm there constantly, accepts this. If it's Biden versus Trump, who knows who'll win? The two least popular candidates in modern political history doing the rematch that no one wants, all bets are off. If it's DeSantis and the Republicans solve this problem, and this will be a key part of DeSantis talking to the part of the party that actually wants to win, that will then be DeSantis versus Biden and look for the Republicans to win handily after Biden's disastrous governing period, which has given us the highest rates of inflation in 40 years and a massive cost of living crisis. So beneath the headline numbers of the midterms, 2024 has already begun. And the wrap-up is simple. Despite the bad numbers, or frankly because of the bad numbers, the Republicans with DeSantis have begun to solve their succession crisis. They will remain a Trumpist, Jacksonian, populist party, but Trumpism without Trump is looking very, very acceptable to Trump voters and non-Trump professionals in the party who just want to win alike. So there's been real movement on the Republican side and on the Democratic side, crickets. We have more of Joe Biden, who isn't the answer to any question that involves the future. Thank you very much. Very happy to talk through the midterms before we get back to explaining the wider world. For those of you who haven't subscribed yet, and so many of you have, and we're very grateful, please do so now. And for those of you who have subscribed, please do give the $70 a year we're asking, or $7 a month, or $70 a year, just the price of one of my beloved espressos a month. And at $70 a year, we will keep giving you this utterly unique coverage that is so very often so on the money. Thanks a lot and on to the next.